Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Means, The Guardian's regular Brexit podcast, and I'm John Henley. It's been quite a week in Brexit land. First, the third round of Article 50 divorce talks ended in Brussels last week with a joint press conference by the chief negotiators, the EU's Michel Barnier and the UK's David Davis. They shot barbed comments at each other. They disagreed on everything from how to calculate the divorce bill to whether any progress had been made. And they generally gave the impression that far from singing from the same hymn sheet, the two sides don't actually seem to be in the same church. So we'll look at what's behind this chasm of incomprehension. Is Britain expecting the impossible? And can the EU even begin to deliver it? Davis also gave a statement to Parliament this week, saying there were going to be some stormy moments in the talks and nobody had said Brexit was going to be simple or easy. Actually, he and some of his pro-Brexit colleagues did say precisely that a year or so ago, but it might be churlish to point it out. Here in London, meanwhile, the government's immediate challenge is getting the European Union brackets withdrawal bill through Parliament. The bill aims to transfer nearly 12,500 items of EU law onto the UK statute book, and it's being challenged by Labour and maybe some Tory rebels for allowing ministers to change key areas of law without parliamentary scrutiny. So we'll discuss how the government, without a Conservative majority in Parliament, is likely to fare with that. And finally, The Guardian has obtained a leaked copy of an explosive Home Office document outlining what could be the government's immigration plans after Brexit. It shows that, among other things, the government aims to end free movement the moment the UK leaves the EU, restricting low-qualified EU workers to a two-year stay and more highly qualified people to five years. So we'll ask, what's the impact of that likely to be on already difficult Brexit talks? So, with me to discuss all this are Jennifer Rankin, The Guardian's Brussels correspondent, who's in Brussels, and Peter Walker, our politics reporter, who joins us from The Guardian's busy Westminster office. Let's kick off chronologically, I suppose. So, Jennifer, with the Barnier-Davis standoff last week, you, you were there. What was the body language like? How did the two men actually seem? Well, I think that the tension was very real, despite the icy politeness. And although we see often when these when the Brexit negotiations start, usually the two men enter laughing and joking a little bit, especially from David Davis. There was definitely none of that last week, and it was their differences were were really clear to see. Right. I mean, there. I mean, there's a seems to me there's a huge unspoken problem at the heart of all this, um, and and it's 
that the UK wants a deal, some kind of a deal, and the EU basically wants to just sort of, you know, move on. Uh, I mean, what, what it seems to me that, 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 you know, the UK wants to leave the EU, it wants to leave the single market and the customs union, but get more or rather, I mean, I suppose, keep as much as possible of what it now has for less. And it reckons the EU should give it this because, you know, because BMW and Prosecco and all that, and because this is Britain after all. Um, but, you know, the thing is, Davis keeps asking for more flexibility, more imagination, and the EU can't give it because everything Britain seems to be asking for indicates some kind of a half in, half out, have cake and eat it kind of arrangement that would just undermine the single market. And Barnier really seemed to make that pretty clear. So what, what is the way forward? Yes, also to me, this last negotiating round really seemed the moment where the promises of the campaign, the, the have your cake and eat it policy, really ran into the, the brick wall of the, of the reality of Brexit, mm. to mix the metaphors a bit. And, and yes, as you say, David Davis was was really pleading with the EU to be flexible, to be more imaginative, as he sees it with the timetable. But the problem is for the EU, they, they see this timetable, this structure is the only way of managing the negotiations where they agree the divorce bill first. And really the, the whole point is that the EU is a rules-based organisation and that you can be imaginative perhaps when you're drafting the rules, but once they've been agreed, you can't be very imaginative in enforcing them. And that's, that's really the whole point. So that's the, the hard reality that uh, the British government is running into now. So is there a way out of it? Well, I, at the moment, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's not clear how this, how this will go. I think already we've seen from, from David Davis has, has ditched, for example, his, or appears to have ditched his uh, sort of blue sky proposal for mm. uh, an invisible border where there will be the use of technology to, to make the, the need for checks uh, disappear away. So I think, I think there will certainly have to be more compromises from the UK. So far, we haven't seen any signs that the EU are going to compromise in water down their rules and that's one thing that Michel Barnier was very clear about again at the press conference last week that that he's really his main goal is to protect the integrity of the EU rules and and no third country as the UK will be is going to get a special deal to to have to be both inside the club but also outside to get the advantages of being in while having not to while being able to ignore the rules exactly and i and i mean peter we can't really complain that we didn't know this uh, can we i mean it was in it was in the eu's it was in the in the heads of heads of agreement to, about the article 50 talks it was in the eu's response when uh, when when uh, theresa may triggered article 50 uh, you know that the eu stated very clearly it is it's the, its top priority in these talks will be to preserve the interest and defend the interests of its citizens, its businesses, its economy. So, I mean, it's all very well as whinging now, uh, but, you know, we're kind of stuck with what we agreed to, aren't we? That's exactly right. And it's, it's for the British government, it's a very tricky process. I mean, the ministers leading on this are intelligent people, very well versed in how the uh, EU works. I mean, particularly the ones who are kind of diehard Brexiters who've been thinking about this for, you know, 20 or 30 year years. They would have known for all the protestations during the referendum, this was going to be very easy. They would have known there would have be, you know, hiccups and mm. problems and things like that. And people like David Davis have kind of got a dual role. They've got to obviously go to Brussels and battle as hard as they possibly can for the best deal that they can get. And they must realise there's a bit of flexibility on some issues. But the kind of unspoken part of their role is also to very, very gradually mm. and almost without saying so, letting down the expectations of the voters who voted for this. Um, 
you know, gradually letting them realise that Britain is going to have to pay a kind of settlement bill, that they're not going to get everything they want on trade and exiting mm. European Court of Justice and all the stuff like that. And and they are gradually doing that. And and all that without uh, upsetting the, the, the sort of the right wing of their party. Well, for Theresa May, this is a particularly difficult one. I mean, at Prime Minister's Questions, which took place earlier in the day, um, one of the questions was from one of the 2015 Conservative uh, entrants, a MP called Chris Philp. And he was really, really rude about the way that the European Commission is going about this <laughs> and said they're engaging in what are called an act of wanton economic self-harm. And he urged May to do something about this. And obviously, you know, the Prime Minister had to make kind of polite noises about this, but she can't really agree with him. So she, again, for all the front bench of the Conservative Party, it's a strange balancing act, you know, which mm. goes several ways you know, both to Brussels, towards their own backbenches, and also, finally, what they can actually achieve. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, the bill, Jennifer, then, I mean, that seems to be the sort of the real concrete sticking point at the moment. There, there's some talk in London, in fact, I mean, David Davis said uh, uh, this week that it's very unlikely to be agreed until the very last minute of, of the talks. How, how is that playing in, in Brussels? Well, oddly enough, that, that idea that the bill will be agreed at the last minute, the, the number, is actually not... Such is not controversial in Brussels, and uh, Michel Barnier is quite happy to to agree with the British a method for calculating the bill first, and then eventually come to the final uh, the final number, the mm. final um, check, as it were. But the, the problem is, if you have a methodology, then surely you'll be able to calculate what the what that final bill is. And so we don't we don't know how how much the EU will ask for from from the UK on this. But certainly EU officials they're very aware that that money is a toxic issue for the British. And in and in a in an odd way you might think in an unexpected way they're actually keen to help the UK with this. And and one idea that's being floated is that maybe the UK should stay in the EU budget until the end of 2020, which is the end of the current budget cycle that David Cameron signed up for when he was Prime Minister. And that the view is that, um, you know, if, if that was possible as some kind of transition, that could solve a lot of problems. Mm. Well, this is, this is still a, a sketchy idea that has to be worked out. And it's all sort of in the mix with a, with a lot of other difficult questions and uh, uncertainties about what the British government wants from a, a transition deal and, and ultimately the future relationship. Exactly. But it would at least be some kind of sort of ongoing membership fee rather than a kind of a massive lump sum, uh, which would which I suppose might be an advantage. Um, well, let's look now at the other big bill um, in this whole process, uh, the withdrawal bill. Um, Peter, is there any serious chance of a rebellion? Is the government going to get this through? It, it's a it's a tricky one, and the government's task is made more difficult by the fact that Labour are very much have a united front on this. They've made it very very clear that they've got worries about the method within the bill by which the government can make huge numbers of amendments to law under what's known as secondary legislation, which basically the government just publishes a kind of directive saying, you know, this is the case, mm. and MPs don't get a say or even a uh, vote. Um, Again, at Prime Minister's questions just earlier in the day, it's quite interesting that the first question Theresa May faced was from Anna uh, Soubry, mm -hmm. who is a kind of well-known conservative backbencher with kind of quite strong kind of Brexit sceptic views. views. Yes, yeah. um, and she used her question to um, say that there were quite a lot of MPs, you know, on the conservative backbenches who were worried about 
these measures to be able to kind of tweak laws without MPs getting there, you're going to say. And the response from May was interesting. You know, she didn't commit to anything, but she did said she'd listened very, very carefully to what the MPs had to say, and she offered to meet uh, Subri in, in, in person. So that's certainly a sign that May's treating this as a serious issue. Because it would only take a handful of rebels uh, to cause her real problems, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. And you almost get into this kind of 1970s style thing where the government majority, well, you know, there isn't one, but where the numbers are so tight that every single vote would count. And, you know, the kind of Brexit feeling amongst some of the kind of malcontents of Tory backbenches changes issue by issue. But that makes it very, very difficult for Conservative whips to know what the numbers are. So they're going to have to tread very, very carefully mm, on this. Mm. And, and Labour's coming. I mean, you said Labour was united. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the, the, the Labour leader, has, has, uh, has obviously ordered his, 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 his troops to vote against this. Uh, how much clout do, does, does Labour really have? Is its position really united? Interestingly, they seem to be uniting as much as they ever had done over Brexit, mm. over this kind of revised position devised, you know, the last few few weeks, which mm-hmm. is kind of more open mm. to kind of some kind of affiliation with the single market and things like that. Um, the one thing that they're really, really not kind of on the same page on is immigration. I mean, this is something we'll talk about later, but it was notable that Prime Minister's questions, that Jeremy Corbyn in his, you know, more than half dozen questions, didn't mention immigration or Brexit yes. once. He was just talking about low pay and things like that. So he's still quite wary about raising it as a political issue. Absolutely. Yes. Well, well, let's dive straight into that one. I mean, immigration, you know, is obviously one of the, the real burning issues and always was throughout the throughout the Brexit campaign here. Um, Jennifer, so that 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 leaked paper, um, which The Guardian obtained, Let's not forget it was a draft, but I suppose we can at least assume that it represents a possible general direction of the government's thinking. Um, it was represented really a, a you know, a, a, a draconian clampdown uh, on, on EU migration, a, a complete end to freedom of movement as soon as Britain leaves the EU, uh, demanding, for example, also despite, uh, you know, as well as the, uh, you know, the kind of uh, restrictions on the, on the length of time that EU workers could spend in Britain demanding that they produce passports at the British border rather than EU ID cards and and all this kind of thing. How has that gone down in Brussels? I think it's fair to say the paper hasn't helped. People understand and and know, of course, that it is a draft and doesn't reflect the the final position and and they hope it won't reflect the final position. I think the the draft has really raised raised tensions. It's added to the anger that that, uh, that some people feel, and and added to the sense that the UK is pursuing a, a hardcore domestic mm. agenda without without really um, caring to secure first the rights of EU citizens in the UK, and also actually ignoring the rights of British citizens elsewhere in the EU. So I think for for many people this is this paper is very problematic. Of course, the issue about family re- reunification mm. for EU nationals in the UK is going to be of huge concern. I mean, there's already a clear difference between the between Davis and Barnier on this, and and that's only set to, to deepen it. So I think it's going to complicate the negotiations as we head into uh, October, when of course we we get to that point where the UK will be looking to see whether there is sufficient progress and it can move on to the next stage of of Brexit talks about trade. So I think the general mood is that it will 
complicate those negotiations. It could do more than that, couldn't it? I mean, if if this really was what the British government is determined to pursue, um, I mean, that kind of uh, uh, of immigration policy would effectively rule out a, a, a transition deal, which left you know Britain in the in in the single market, or even a, a sort of a Europe that this EEA European Economic Area solution that's increasingly being mooted at the moment, the kind of the Norway uh, the Norway route. I mean, all of that would be impossible if Britain insisted on on this approach to EU immigration, wouldn't it? Yes, it really would. And I think that's also the other signal that, that EU officials, observers have drawn from this, that, that it really does seem to wave goodbye to any transition agreement, or rather it seems emblematic of the UK's idea that it can do whatever it likes, that it can make a very big ask from the EU while, um, while offering nothing in return. And it's just a coincidence, of course, that this paper has emerged just as the UK government formally sets out its proposals to collaborate and to be part of the EU's research funding programs in Mm. future. So I think there's a sense in Brussels that, well, on the one hand, you're saying we would really like to be part of your research programs, but on Mm. the other hand, please don't send us your um, your sort of... uh, fruit pickers or construction yes. workers uh, and that sort of is going that's playing very badly and i think in particular it will cause tensions with uh, with central and eastern europe countries that otherwise britain might have hoped that mm. it could expect uh, to expect to sort of ease the, the progress of brexit in the in the european council yeah more more, more have your cake and eat it problems uh, peter any thoughts on this uh, d- does this actually reflect the government's or or Therese, i mean there's a lot of people are saying this is this is kind of classic theresa may went from when she was at the home office does this really represent what the government wants um the brief answer seems to be yes and no. This is a Home Office paper, and the Home Office are obviously more traditionally bullish on this issue than most other mm. ones. So it hasn't had the kind of Treasury giving a chance to have their say. You know, they'd probably be more liberal on this uh, concept. Um, interestingly, the one, you know, because obviously the government won't comment on this, say, you know, say it's a leaked document, we don't comment on those. But again, at Prime Minister's questions, May was asked one more time about, you know, immigration is a general issue. And she gave a generalised but very robust defence on cracking down the numbers of people, mm. saying that it, um, if you have uncontrolled, unskilled immigration, it tends to depress wages, particularly amongst uh, lower wage people. So I think she's getting ready to... Pr- to defend the principle, you know, what actually transpires, you know, no one really knows yet. Yes. And I suppose it is, I mean, the, the, the pro-Brexit side will argue that this is a very large part of, of why people voted for Brexit. Yes, and if you look at the polls on why people voted for it, that was, you know, aside from this generalised idea of taking back control, immigration, particularly unskilled EU immigration, was one of the very, very kind of big issues. Um, so, you know, this process I talked about earlier of ministers having to let people down gently. Um, if they did have to let voters down on this issue, I think it'd be a very, very politically difficult one to do. Exactly. So more trouble ahead. OK, well, thank you both very much indeed. That's it for this week. My thanks to Jennifer in Brussels and Peter in Westminster for joining me. Please subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers and join the discussion on Twitter. If you want to get in touch about Brexit stuff, it's Brexit Podcast. That's all one word. Brexit Podcast at theguardian.com. And if you'd like to review the pod and be in with a chance of featuring in our podcast weekly column do please email podcasts at theguardian.com till next week then when we will be discussing higher education universities science research the impact of brexit on all of those i'm john henley the producer was rowan slaney this was brexit means and thank you very much for listening 
For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.